welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Allison. And I'm Erica. And before we start, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. And if you're enjoying BC the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. You can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. What up, Erica? Not too much. What's up with you? Oh, I just had a very cute puppy jump on my bed. Puppy? Hey, puppy. Yeah, I got Epi on my lap, and I've got Daphne, the poodle, who just ran in here to give me lovins, which is so sweet. Nothing like snuggling with a cute kitty and puppy. I know, while I'm recording the podcast. Yay. So that's that's the current state of affairs with me. Well, my dog is just a little bit more standoffish than that, so she's just over in the corner, like, why are you doing that? And please stop. Rosie's just dignified. Mm-hmm. She's also got her priorities. She does. Yeah. Which is laying around and rolling around on the floor right now. <laughs> which is amazing. And wanting walks and all of that while we're recording, which is great. <laughs> God bless her. Love Rosie. Well, back to the Beatles. This week, we're going to continue our season of Let It Be with something we didn't really intend to do, but it kind of happened. So we are doing it. Yeah, it fits right in, even though next week we'll be returning to our formal Let It Be programming. But as we'll talk about with our guest today, which we're so excited to Mm. welcome her on in just a moment. This was sort of a, you know, a very timely episode for a very sad reason, but it's a very fun conversation nonetheless. Yes, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, Lizzie Bravo, who sang backup on Across the Universe and was one of the original Apple Scruffs, or regulars, as they were also known, um, standing outside of Apple's studios and meeting the Beatles and being friends with them. Well, she passed away recently. And while she was one of our dream guests, we really wanted her on the podcast. It can't happen. So in lieu of that, we invited our friend Sarah Schmidt on today. Yay! Yes, you guys will just love the conversation because we kind of go everywhere with this. And she's really like an encyclopedia about the Beatles fan clubs and fandom. It's just so like wild and wacky, all the stuff that existed at that point. So you guys will enjoy it and laugh at, uh, at some pretty funny fan club names. Yeah, and stay stay tuned for some tea that was spilled. I was surprised. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes, Sarah came came in hot with the tea for sure. So yeah, enjoy the conversation and without further ado, here's Sarah. This episode of BC the Beatles is sponsored by pictures2digital.com. As Beatles fans, we're so lucky that all that original footage was saved and digitized so we can see masterpieces like the new Let It Be. But what about your personal memories? If you have piles of photos, videotapes, or even slides documenting your family history, make sure they're protected for generations by digitizing them at pictures2digital.com. Pictures to Digital can digitize nearly any type of media, catalog it for you, and deliver your memories via flash drive or the cloud service of your choice. And now, Pictures to Digital has a special offer for our listeners. Use the code BEATLES15 at checkout to get 15% off any order. Book now to receive your digital memories in time for the holidays. That's code BEATLES15 for 15% off. Save space, reduce clutter, 
and keep your precious memories accessible and protected for life. Pictures to Digital. That's pictures, the number two, digital.com. For memories that last a lifetime. So today we are so excited to welcome our guest. She is the founder of the incredible website, Meet the Beatles for Real, which has been going strong since 2009 and a good friend of ours, Sarah Schmidt. Hi, it's great to be here because I always listen to you girls. Meet the Beatles for Real is fan-submitted stories of when they've all met Beatles and people in the Beatles-adjacent world. Right. I consider it um, a modern-day Beatles fan club, sort of like how the fans in the 60s and 70s would communicate through the newsletters and the fanzines. And it comes with the added bonus that it's got a really wonderful keyword listing on the side of it. So if I want to see stories of like, People who have met Abe Laboreal Jr., I can click on it and find all of them. It's just such a wonderful resource. Well, thank you very much. That's, that's really sweet of you to say. I mean, not to mention the rare pics. I love fan photos, so it's always a good day when I can find like new fan photos of the Beatles or with the Beatles. In addition to Meet the Beatles for Real, Sarah, you're also the author of Happiness is Seeing the Beatles, Beatlemania in St. Louis, and contributed to the fantastic book A is for Apple, Volume 2 and 3, and is currently working on a next book, which is such a wonderful extension of your site about the Beatles fan clubs in North America during the time that the band was around. So tell us a little bit about your books. In 2016, I had Happiness of Seeing the Beatles, Beatlemania in St. Louis, published for the 50th anniversary of the Beatles concert in St. Louis, because I'm from the St. Louis area. And I wanted to learn more about the concert in St. Louis, and there wasn't very much written about it. So I thought, this will be a nice little article. And then it just kind of grew into a whole entire book. I love these like really in-depth pieces of Beatle history. You're really getting day-by-day accounts, personal accounts. I love all those books. I mean, there's been more and more coming out that kind of focus in on one city, be it in England or in the United States, and the Beatles' influence on that city. You know, it isn't for like your casual Beatles fans, but those of us who are like hardcore, what more in depth, it's a good book for that. Well, in addition to all of your fantastic work, Sarah, you actually had your own Meet the Beatles for Real story because you got to meet Ringo. I did. It was like the most exciting moment of my life. Can you please just tell us everything about it? My mom and I, my mom being the first generation Ringo maniac, maniac that she is, she and I pulled our money together and paid to have a meet and greet with Ringo. So we got assigned artwork and like a few minutes to meet him backstage. It was September 7th, 2018 at the Fox Theater in St. Louis. And he wasn't supposed to be meeting fans in St. Louis. He had, has like, when he does these meet and greets, certain cities that he does them in. And St. Louis was not on the list. But we talked to Neil Glazer at the Fester Beatles fans in Chicago and said, like, how we would be really interested, but this on the list. And he said, well, sometimes for really special fans that really love Ringo, he'll make an exception and will come out and do a meet and greet with them. He goes, I'll talk to Ringo about you girls and see what he decides. And we didn't know if until like the moment of the concert, we get a text like, he says, yes, come out. So we're running like, you know, my mom, she has a cane. She, you know, she has um, some foot problems. 
she was running like to get to the big front of the line that had formed there to get into the theater. But of course, they didn't want to let us in. And we're like, no, Ringo wants to see us. Let us in. So they finally let us in. And we were rushed backstage. And then Ringo came out. And it was like, he gave us both hugs. And I gave him a copy of my book. And he flipped through it. And he got to a picture of him and, and the other Beatles singing in St. Louis. He goes, there's me and the lads. I just about died. Like, Rego is holding my book. He took it with him. So I assume, I don't know if he still has it, but but that was one thing I was told that Ringo never takes books from Beatles authors. Really? And he seemed really happy to take it. So, you know, we got our picture taken with him and chatted with him for a little bit. And then we were shoved back out <laughs> among the regular people. God, so you ran your blog for nine years and then you got to add this story to it. Yes. I've been waiting a long time to meet one of the Beatles and I was happy to meet Ringo, especially with my mom because she loves Ringo so much. That's perfect. What a great story. Yeah. It was one of the most exciting moments of my life. There is a photo of Ringo looking at your book, right? Yes. That's so cool. I think I might put it on my about the author page in my new book. And speaking of your new book, so tell us a little bit about the book. Well, it's called Dear Beetle People, the Beatles North American Fan Club. It is all about the fan clubs, the official fan club, the independent fan clubs that were ran through the United States and Canada from 1963 to 1972. There's a lot of great stories about fan club members who got to meet the Beatles. There is some scandals among Beatle fans and fan clubs and the official Ooh. fan club and how they got a cease and desist letter. And it, it gets pretty juicy there in 1968 onward. Well, for those of us who have been very lucky to see your presentations at Beatle Fest about the fan clubs... It's just, I can't even imagine what the book's going to be because those are so, like, you just get so invested in them because they do sometimes read like a soap opera, the different competing clubs and the names of some of the clubs, which are pretty wacky. Isn't there a weird one with John in the title? Oh, Father Lennon's Many Children? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's the one. Oh, my God. That's so culty. <laughs> What's fun about that one is that it turned into Beatles rule. She changed the name and then it turned into the right thing, which is like considered one of the greatest Beatles fanzines of all time. Like any listeners that were fans in the seventies probably subscribe to the right thing, but it started out as father Lennon's many children. Yeah. It evolved from that. Wow. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> when the book comes out, I hope you'll come back here so we can talk oh, more about to. these stories. Like the book is done being edited. It's just, working on the layout now and Eric Cash is working right now on the cover. He is doing oh, a painting for it. Great wow, artist. Very great cool. artist. Yeah. Once those components are all done, it will be ready to go. Can't wait. Well, Sarah, since it's your first appearance on our show, we'd love to ask people, especially next gen fans like us, how did you become a Beatles fan? Because you consider yourself to be second generation, right? Right. Well, your mom was obviously a fan, right? Yes. Is that how you became a fan? That's how you would think I became a fan, because my mom's a huge Beatles fan. But no, um, when I was in seventh grade, so like 12, I think, a bunch of Beatle things happened, like boom, boom, boom in a row that made me go like, I need to check out the Beatles. The first thing was the show The Wonder Years had, with a little help from my friends, as a theme song. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. And my mom said, 
oh, well, that one's okay, but you should hear the original by the Beatles. The second thing was that my music teacher was lazy and was showing help on a hard day's night in class instead of doing music. And I really was like, I couldn't really hear it because now the kids were talking. So I didn't really understand the, the dialogue, but the music, I was like, well, this is pretty good. This is the Beatles. My mom did something about them the other day. And then the biggie is that I spent the night at my friend's house. And my friend and I were huge New Kids on the Block fans. because This is like 1988, 1989. And we we're watching our New Kids on the Block videos and kind of screaming at the screen and all that. And her mom started laughing and said, that reminds me so much of what my friends and I used to do when the Beatles came on TV. And I was like, really? Well, tell me more about that. And I ended up staying real late at night. My friend went to bed and I'm sitting with her mom looking through her old Beatles scrapbooks. And she's telling me all the stories about them. And after that was like, I need to learn more about this band. I need to know everything I need to know because I absolutely love this. I love it that your origin story involves talking with a fan about their own personal fan memories. Yeah, and you know, I went back and interviewed her for my book on the Beatles in St. Louis because that's a big part of her story is seeing them in concert in St. Louis. But my mom really wasn't, she was originally was a fan and then she got married and had me and like she really wasn't paying attention to the Beatles. And then my new interest in the Beatles renewed her old interest in the Beatles and then we started doing Beatles stuff together. The first thing we did, we went to Beatlefest in Chicago the year after I graduated high school that summer. I'd never been to anything like that before, and especially not with my mom. And my mom stands up and yells, I love Ringo. And I was like, we're going to have a good time. This is going to be good. Oh, that's a new side <laughs> of your mom. That's great. Yes. <laughs> and now that wouldn't shock me at all. But at the time, I was like, what? Okay, I'll go with this. This is going to be fun. So today, we really wanted to talk to you about something specific. Lizzie Bravo, one of the original Apple Scruffs, who had the distinction of being one of two teen girls who were actually on a Beatles song, passed away. It was just such a sad, sad day. And Sarah, you've been friends with Lizzie for such a long time through your site and heard her stories and published her photos. So we were hoping you could just tell us a little bit more and we could celebrate such a loved member of the community. Yeah, I'm, I'm really honored that you asked me to talk about my friend Lizzie because she was such a special Beatles fan. I think she really is the epitome of the ultimate Beatles fan. Like she's what every Beatles fan should be because she just spread that peace and love to everybody. And she was just such a sweetheart. And I'm still really sad about her death. We had always wanted to have her on the podcast. So it's, it's a little bittersweet, but you know, it's wonderful that you decided to come on and remember her and her legacy. But I never really interacted with her, but what little interaction we had on Facebook was just her being such like a humble Beatles fan you know you encounter fans online that are for no reason at all just so high and mighty or holier than thou in their fandom but she was there she saw it all and she was just like no I I love them just like everybody else loves them she would say she was no different than you or me Erica you know she would say I'm just a Beatles fan like you are even though she had all those other interesting things happen that none of us would ever have happened yeah, she, well, like Erica said, she was an Apple Scruff before there was even a name for the Apple Scruffs, right? Right. She would have said that she's not, was not an Apple Scruff. Really? Yes, she would not claim to be an Apple Scruff because she was one of the regulars. The Apple Scruff started in late October, early November 1969, and they had fan club cards. So she was literally not a card-carrying member of the Apple Scruffs. 
because she left London in early October of 69 to move back to Brazil. So while she was there and she knew all the girls that were official Apple Scruffs, she would always say she wasn't one of them. I think being a regular sounds cooler. It all was good. I mean, it was the regulars and the Apple Scruffs were mostly the same girls. And she got some really amazing firsthand access to them. She took some pictures of them that are still some of the best fan pictures around, especially of John, who she loved. Yes. She, she would always tell me that she didn't take as many pictures of the other Beatles because she wanted to save her film for John. Because like me, she was a John girl. And I was like, well, yeah, obviously you don't want to waste your film on those other guys. I mean, she did take other pictures of Paul and George and Ringo, but not nearly as many as she took of John. Well, I was a bit jealous. I was reading something about her this past week. And apparently when she moved to London from Brazil, I believe it was what, 1966, 67. 67. Okay. She uh, had said she went to EMI Studios right away and she got to see my favorite Beatle, Brian Epstein, come she out of did. the building. That was like one of the first people she met. <laughs> so I'm so jealous. <laughs> but she didn't take a picture of him. <laughs> of course not. She was saving it for John. Right. To be fair, like, that's okay. Probably one of the funniest things that she posted on my blog was I posted like this picture of Jimi Hendrix on like an anniversary of his death or something. And she was like, Oh, I met Jimi Hendrix before when he was coming into EMI. And everyone was like, Oh my gosh, show us the picture. She's like, why would I take a picture of Jimi Hendrix? He wasn't a Beatle. Why would I have done that? (laughs) She was focused. Damn. I was like, she has a really good point. She's like, yeah, other celebrities would come and go too, but I wouldn't take their pictures. Film wasn't cheap back then. Right, it wasn't cheap. And she liked to use color film, which was even more expensive. You know, one thing I love about her story is that she's just so determined. Like She was 15 when she came here and she just decided to stay. And I've, I've heard her tell the story about how she told her parents that she wasn't coming back just yet. And she got a job cleaning at a hotel and she made it work because she just wanted it. Her and her best friend at the time, Denise, kind of did this together, even though Denise arrived a week earlier. But they both were big Beatle fans in Brazil and were pretty upset that the Beatles never played Brazil and had stopped touring. So they realized the Beatles aren't going to come to us, so we're going to go to them. And they just decided we're going to go on a little holiday and stay there for many years. It's like every Beatle fan's daydream about what they could have done. Well, it's like a fanfic. It really, somebody could have written this and put it online as a fanfic. Yeah, and the fic would end in a way that if you were writing, it'd be like, that doesn't sound realistic, in that they got to sing on a Beatles song. Right. Her and Gaylene got to sing on Across the Universe. It's it's crazy. (laughs) They were recording Across the Universe on a Sunday. And, you know, the Beatles never recorded on a Sunday. It was kind of an odd thing. So there weren't as many fans waiting outside of EMI. Oh, and they let them sit, not outside, because it was cold. It was February. So they got to kind of sit inside, like between the door and the other door. And Paul came up to them and said, which of you know how to hold out a high note? Not very many girls. I think girls were kind of shocked that Paul McCartney standing right there. And they didn't respond. And Lizzie and Gaylene were like, I do, I do. And that's how they got to go in there. I mean, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, and I would have been like, absolutely, Paul, I can. But the thing is, Lizzie actually 
was a singer, she could sing. She could, and you can hear it, especially on the latest Let It Be album. They the remix of like Lynn John's version of Across the Universe that features Lizzie and Gaylene is my favorite of all the mixes. And something funny about that is that um at first Gaylene was a Paul fan, Lizzie's a John fan, so they went to their favorite Beatles, but they were too nervous or something, and they were like, Okay, girls, switch. <laughs> so that you're not next to your favorite Beatle because you girls are like giggly and I don't know what they were doing, but whatever reason they wanted them to switch. Next to John, she couldn't sing, but next to Paul, she's just like, whatever. Yeah, she's like, well, yeah she's, she's like, well, it was just Paul. Ah. Erica is like, that's unacceptable. Well, Gaylene <laughs> was like, well, it was just John. So okay. I guess okay. that worked out for him. The sad thing about it is that Mal was there taking pictures with this new camera of his. And none of the pictures turned out because Mal didn't know really how to use the new camera. And he didn't roll the film to the next thing. The next, you know, where you have to do that. Mm -hmm. Back in the the day, you know, you had to go to the next one and he wasn't doing that. So none of his pictures turned out. And that's the reason why Lizzie didn't take any pictures during that was because, oh, Mal's got a brand new camera and he's snapping pictures like crazy. Oh, no. No pictures. Mal didn't look like the kind of guy you could stay mad at for too long, but seriously, I would have been so upset. Mal gave Lizzie a Kit Kat bars, so she, she oh, was right with the world. Story. Yeah, she she blames that for her. She had a lifelong addiction to Kit Kats. So yes. <laughs> so she didn't stay mad at him. Now, have you read her book? I know she wrote a book, but it wasn't translated out of Portuguese, right? No, it wasn't. Okay. Not yet, yet at least. I do have her book. The pictures in it are amazing. Although her and her publisher or layout guy, whoever it was, kind of had an argument about the pictures because Lizzie put in every picture she took, pretty much, including ones that were a little fuzzy, out of focus, were just the back of John's head. And the guy was like, you can't put these pictures in here. Nobody wants to see them. And she's like, everybody wants to see them. (laughs) He's like, no, they don't. Nobody wants to see a fuzzy picture. She's like, yes, they do. Trust me. The Beatle fans want to see these pictures. She was yeah. definitely right. Right. And we used to talk about that all the time. That I was like, I don't care if it's fuzzy. It's John Lennon or it's Paul McCartney. I want to see it. Right. It's a moment in time in the lives of Beatles that we haven't seen yet. So it's important. So I have her book. And one day I typed quite a bit of it into Google Translate. And while Google Translate isn't that great, it at least gave me a good idea about what the story was. Did you find out anything new from the book that she hadn't shared already? Do you remember that John and Yoko did one of their things and they gave out wooden spoons for people to make music with? Okay. Lizzie somehow got the job of buying all the wooden spoons. (laughs) And so she went to like all the Woolworths in London all around because, you know, you'd go to one and they would have like 12. So then she had to find, go to another one. And she, that was her job. Like one day she's running all around London collecting wooden spoons for John and Yoko. That's so great. <laughs> I had never you heard that story before. I thought that was pretty funny. make that up. That is very funny. I hope this gets translated so we can all read the rest of it someday. Lizzie was taking care of her mother who had Alzheimer's. And while she was doing that, she was working on the translation. And I'm pretty sure she's got it, had most of it finished. But she was still going through her diaries, making sure she didn't leave anything out. But I, I want to say most of it was done. Like there were still some things that needed to be wrapped up. But I'm hoping her daughter 
realizes how important it is and releases it. Because yeah. her mom wanted it to be out in English so bad. Oh, we want it. She wanted it for us because she didn't want her stories and her photos to die when she passed away. Like, that was a concern of hers. Because I think it is a lot of Beatle fans mm-hmm. that have yeah. photos and the memories. I mean, that's a big part of what my site is about, that everybody has a Beatles story. And it's important for the history of the Beatles to get it on paper or record it and pass it along because especially first generation fans aren't going to be around forever and we don't want their stories dying. I love the Apple Scruff girls. I really do. But a lot of them don't want their pictures shared and they don't want to share their stories. And it makes me sad. Well, I hope they at least write them down somewhere to keep a record. Well, this is what I understand. And I show no disrespect to them because really I love these girls. They feel like it's so private and personal to them. The times they shared together and with the Beatles that they don't really want to share it with everyone. I can see how they might think that or maybe also think like you don't want to cash in on something that feels so good to you. But we'd love to share in the stories with them. I know, <laughs> but they don't understand. I mean, they it's not going to happen. Aww. It's just not because I've talked to a lot of well, not a lot of the girls, three or four of the girls that were card-carrying official Apple Scruffs, and they're just not interested in sharing their stories. They're not interested in having their photos out there. I mean, they will share a few photos, but not a whole lot. That's so interesting that they all kind of have the same feeling about it. Well, it's kind of an agreement I think they made with one another. Because when Carol Bedford wrote her book, Waiting for the Beatles, they were very unhappy with her. And before she passed away, Carol passed away, they did reconcile with her. But they were kind of on bad terms for a while. Well, that just makes me want to know even more what they're they're keeping to themselves. I'm like, okay, well. I know. For the A is for Apple books, I write the chapters about the Apple scruffs in them. And I've told them, like, they'll read over it and say, well, this isn't completely how it was. And I said, well, if you'd like to tell me how it was... I'll change it before it gets published. And they're like, no, it's fine. See, that's not fair. (laughs) I have to go from what I read in newspapers and different little interviews and snippets here and there, because that's all I have to glean from. So that's going to be the story that's told. That's really unfortunate when they know that there's something that they could correct or just make more honest and true. Because they went through my rebeat article, one girl did, and was like, "Mm, this isn't exactly how it is. That wasn't exactly how it is. This was good. This part was good, but didn't really make any corrections on it for me. Well, they could have emailed the editor of rebeat. (laughs) It was me, dear listener, uh, for a (laughs) correction, you know, a totally impartial third party. And then after that, it was like, (laughs) but you did a really great job. We really love this. We love you, Sarah. (laughs) for all you do for us like okay you're like i'm so confused right now i don't know how to feel about what's going on i'm surprised i mean i'm honored that they talked to me at all because there's like nobody knows who they they're on like all sorts of beetle sites on facebook and i'm thinking people don't even know those are the apple scruff girls you don't know you don't know that they're them they're like in the skies yeah, I was going to say, like, aside from maybe Carol Bedford, it's, I, I can't really name many Apple Yeah, me either. Well, Margot was the one that was there the longest, and she's not online. She's the one that gave them their name. 
I get tired of reading in articles that George Harrison came up with their name because he wrote the song about them. He did not come up with their name. They were already named. Which in a way makes that song even cuter because he's just taking something that happens in their day-to-day life and just kind of tributing them. He's not really embellishing it. He's just honoring the relationship. Yeah, because he did have a very good relationship with them. Speaking of George and your amazing Rebeat article, and I wanted to say, I think that was one of our top 10 articles of all time was your 10 things you don't know about Apple Scruffs, which (laughs) I love. I love that article. But George, you mentioned that there were card carrying members of the Apple Scruffs. George was one of them, right? George, John, and Paul? Was Paul one of the card carrying members? I don't think Paul was. Mal was, and Derek Taylor definitely was. Derek Taylor loved the Apple Scruffs. Oh, I love that. I love Derek Taylor. He wrote, like, if you look on my site, there are so many... There's like one big article that he wrote that I typed up just gushing about how much he loved the Apple Scruffs. It's like the sweetest thing. So he has a little certificate that they all sign that he is a member. That's so dear. I love that. And I've seen a copy of Tony Bramwell's membership card out there. Oh, really? Oh, no way. Yeah. I guess Paul wasn't an honorary member. It says right here in the article, Ringo, George, Derek Taylor, John Lennon were honorary members and say anything about Paul. Well, you have to remember that the Apple Scruffs started in late 69. Ah. And Paul wasn't really around a lot. True that. Paul, not a popular figure at that point. Oh, they loved Paul. They hated Linda. Uh, There we go. Hit the nail on the head. There is. And I think maybe you mentioned it in the presentation you gave at one of the fests that there is some anti-Linda sentiment around the fan clubs. Oh, my goodness. Yes. In the American fan clubs, in England, there is on YouTube this clip about when, like, the day the news the Beatles broke up when Paul's interview and everything, and the interview girls that are the Apple Scruffs. Now, you probably didn't know that. If you've seen this, you didn't know, but there's one of them, and I think it might be Carol Bedford, or it might be Jill, but one of them are like, we know why they broke up, and it's Linda, or like, they won't say her name, like, it's his wife. She says jump. He says, how high, dear? Like, <laughs> they did not like Linda, but they were the baddies. That was the other group, like the opposing the Apple Scrubs. The baddies are the ones that set the mail on fire on their wedding day and shoved it through the post and would oh, write I all these terrible that. things about Linda on the door. They're like rival Apple Scrubs games? Yes, <laughs> there was a rival group, the baddies. The bat they they were actually called the baddies. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh saying this stuff out loud. I realize how funny it sounds. Yeah, because they all were the regulars up until 1969 when she came in through the bathroom window. That was kind of the breaking point where they had became two sides because you know it was you're talking about girls in their late teens, early twenties. It was drama city. But pause for one sec, because uh, she came in through the bathroom window. Was was that about the Apple Scrubs? Yes, in a way, yes. But they weren't called the Apple Scrubs yet. They were still the regulars. But there was a group of the regulars that went in through the bathroom window and stole Paul's clothes, his trousers, a thing of slides that Linda took from the Let It Be sessions or the Get Back sessions. And... 
some picture that was really important to Paul. Some people said it was a picture of him and his dad. Some people said it was a picture of him and Linda. That's horrible. So they took all this stuff of his, bragging about it. And the girls that became the Apple Scruffs were like working to get the stuff back to Paul because Paul asked Margot to get it back for him. And Margot was walking Martha. So he kind of had a closer relationship with her because she had been there the longest and he trusted her to be his dog walker. Just side note, I literally can't think of a person I'd want to be more than Margot at that moment. I wish I could talk to Margot because the stuff that she got to do was like, she ended up being a tea girl at Apple. And that's where she would make copies of the Apple Scruff Monthly magazine. She would make copies inside of Apple. And she got to meet Martha. Yeah, and she got to walk Martha all the time. You know, that's another thing about this whole relationship with the Apple Scruffs that I find really interesting in that it it wasn't a sex-based relationship in any way, that they were just friendly. Right. I remember talking to Lizzie about that. And she was like, I was so naive. I didn't really even know what sex was. And if one of the Beatles tried anything on me, I would have freaked out because I didn't know anything about sex at that age. And I was like, really? You're like 16, 17? She's like, I was so naive. That was just how it was. And how shocked she was when she first saw John and Yoko nude because she'd never seen a nude man before. And, you know, on the Two Virgins album. Mm -hmm. So all of the Apple Scruffs were like that. Like, sex was off the table. That was not even... That might be something they joked about, but in reality, that was not going to happen. That's so interesting and probably speaks a lot both to who the girls were and what was happening with the Beatles at that time in their lives, too. Because at one point, like Cynthia Lennon was calling Paul McCartney the town bull for, you know, how much he liked to have sex with his fans. That's why the Apple Scruffs get really, really mad when articles call them groupies, because that makes it sound like they were sleeping with the Beatles. It was like really innocent, although they would have little sexual jokes about Paul, especially, as you can imagine, I'm sure. It wasn't like reality. So how long did this feud between the baddies and the apple scrubs last? I'm so interested in this now. (laughs) Well, then they split off and I don't really know what happened to the baddies after like 1970. I guess they just kind of fizzled away. The baddies, going back to the Linda thing... So the Apple Scruffs were not the the ones to really go to town on Linda. But so were the baddies the ones that would say things like American slut go home or whatever? Yes, yes oh, okay. those were definitely the baddies. Now, the Apple Scruff girls didn't like Linda and blamed her for the breakup, but they kind of just ignored her. They didn't go out of her way to spit on her or any of the things that was happening. And of course, Linda, bless her heart, Linda, she didn't know all this. She didn't know there were baddies and there were apple scruffs and there were good girls, you know. She just saw them all as fans that are trying to break into my house and steal my stuff, light my my place on fire, spit on me, write nasty things about me. So she, her guard was up and she was rude to a lot of the fans. I can imagine she would be with that fear and anxiety around this too. Totally. Once I read... The Linda biography, once I read, though, her words about how scared she was that someone was going to break in, especially since her daughter was there and she didn't know who she could trust. She was new in London. She like, no wonder she came across as very rude because she was rude Mm -hmm. to the fans. But I don't blame her because her guard had to be up. Yeah, that is very scary. 
And it makes sense that she and Paul would abscond to the countryside after the breakup, because I'm sure they were terrified what was going to happen if they stayed in that house, perhaps after the the disillusion. Definitely. And I, I could see why they left too. Did the scruffs and the baddies have the same feelings about Yoko? I don't really know how the British fans felt. I know the American fans from my fan club book ignored her. Like, okay, that's John's girlfriend. That's John's wife. It wasn't like this huge anti-Yoko thing that we all think it was. There was some, because there was one girl that wrote her wrote that she was Miss Hiroshima 1945. Damn. I know. Oh. It was like, whoa, that was like, <laughs> I know that was like some serious mean yeah. article that she wrote about Yoko. But most of the fans were just like, yeah, John's just weird. And yeah, he goes out with Yoko. Like, once I got over the shock of him divorcing Cynthia, and most of them blamed Cynthia for the divorce originally. Wow. Because, you know, if you're a good wife, your husband wouldn't cheat on you. So she must have been doing something bad. <laughs> oh, the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> this fan club book is going to be juicy. I told you there is some, <laughs> yeah, some really, really super cute stories about meeting the Beatles. And then there's some, like, drama that I didn't expect to uncover. Maybe Yoko in some ways, she was a little harder to understand. She was an artist. She was so independent. You know, she was avant-garde. Maybe she was just a little bit less, you know, you can't really pigeonhole her as, oh, she's just this other woman. She's an enigma. Their biggest complaint was that Paul changed when he met Linda. You know, he used to stand outside and chat with the girls outside Cavendish for like 30 minutes. And that's when Lizzie was meeting him and taking all the pictures. Like he would get to know those girls. And then Linda came to the picture and he was buttoned up in his house, would walk by them really fast, like wouldn't make eye contact with them. So these girls' point of view was that Linda changed Paul. John was still the same John. He was still exactly the same guy. Kind of a catch-22, though, because if he fell in love and spent less time with them, but then they start with, you know, the Apple Scrubs, but then they started being saying horrific things to Linda, you know, broken to the house, all this, then of course he's going to be more guarded. And then it's this like terrible boomerang that's making everything worse between them all. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So they didn't understand Yoko, but Yoko wasn't mean to them in any way. And John was still the same guy because he really didn't hang out with the fans. You know, he would sign an autograph and pose for a picture and, it wasn't until much later that, like, this Everybody Hates Yoko, She Broke Up the Beatles thing happened. Huh, that's so interesting, like, not having lived the time. I always thought that was what it was from the start. I know, I did too. And then until so I started reading, like, actual writing from the fans in 1970, 1969. Just bringing it back to Lizzie one more time, though, before we wrap up, I wanted to talk more about Lizzie after the Beatles period. Well, once Lizzie went back to Brazil, she got married and her and her husband, they were singers and like good singers. (laughs) They like had hit songs and stuff in Brazil, especially her, her husband who she did divorce and they had, and they had a daughter who is also a performer. She moved to the United States for a while and lived in New York, but she never went to visit John because she felt like that was like enclosed on his his personal life. She connected with the fan, Beatle fan community in New York in the late 70s and into the 80s. 
and was really involved, Go to, went to Beetle Fest as just a participant, not a speaker or anything. She just oh, really? paid her for her ticket and went like everybody else and traded her pictures with the other fans, told her story, you know, in the hallway. But she became someone who contributed to the Beatles fanzines of the 70s and 80s, the right thing. And with a little help from my friends, you know, she would write articles and she was always sharing her pictures with them. Like you always will find black and white copies of her pictures in these magazines. She also was working, I don't know, somehow in the like a public relations or something for, I know she became friends with River Phoenix and she did some work with him. I think it was public relations. And then when Paul performed in Indianapolis in the nineties, she was on with the press at his press conference because he was um, making an announcement about traveling to Brazil. And so she, being in the press, she got to ask a question and she asked whatever her question was. And Paul stopped and went, how do I know you? And she's like, wow. oh, my name's Lizzie Bravo and I'm from Brazil and I sang with you on Across the Universe. And he's like, oh my gosh, I totally remember you. Like, Aww. that was like this little moment she had with him. That was the only time she ever spoke to one of the Beatles after she had left Brazil or left London to go to Brazil. And then she Aww. moved back to Brazil and had a grand, had a granddaughter that she was taking, you know, was playing with. And her daughter was in a production of Hair not too long ago. And she wore her mom's old clothes from the Apple boutique. Oh my goodness. How cool is that? And she got involved online. Like recently in the past, like 20 years, she had such a big presence. Nobody knew about Meet the Beatles for real until Lizzie started sharing the link with people. And I don't know how she found it, but one day I wake up and there's comments from someone named Lizzie Bravo. And I think, that's the girl that sang across the universe. Like someone just using that name as a joke. Surely that can't be that, that person, but no, it was. And she was correcting me on some photos that I had the date wrong and I had the people wrong in the background. And, and oh that she started emailing me and then we started phoning each other. And even though I never met her in person, I considered her a really good friend. And she was that way, not with just me with like tons of other people. She's so giving and generous of the information and really helped get the story straight. And what was really sweet was when my mom turned 64, I was having people from around the world send her birthday cards. And I asked Lizzie if she would send her one, even though she she didn't know my mom, but she knew my mom liked Ringo. So she printed out a copy of a picture she took of Ringo in 1969. It was, he looked really good. And she printed off of her original negative. And it's a picture she really hasn't shared much. It is in her book, but it's not one that she put out online. And she sent that for my mom. So, so that was so sweet. That's so lovely. I know. Because she only took like two pictures of Ringo the whole time she was there. Well, didn't want to waste the film. I understand. I know. She's saving her film. So that was really sweet. And she's just so giving and so loving. She didn't take the criticism on the internet very well because, you know, people can be very cruel, but she didn't let that totally stop her from her good deeds of sharing the Beatles with everybody. How do you feel, you know, as somebody who really catalogs the history of the fandom, how do you feel that Lizzie's and the Apple Scrubs legacy impact our community today? Well, I really love everything that they did because they're like the beginning women of Beatles history. You know, the outsiders, they were documenting things 
through their diaries and through their fan club magazines, you know, so as women, I just think that's amazing that they were doing that so that today we can see the full history and know that the fans weren't mad at Yoko. It was more Linda, you know, like we get a, a bigger picture of the Beatles through those fans, the original fans, than we would through a biography. There's a lot more than, to the story than what like Hunter Davies told at the time, for sure. Right. It's more than really anybody has, except for Mark Lewison, who has extensively interviewed Lizzie, was a good, great friend of Lizzie's. And Mark has gotten a hold of the same Beatles newsletters that I have. And he's like amazed with all the information that's in there that you don't find elsewhere. Oh, that's good to know that he was able to spend a good amount of time with her. Yeah, they were really good friends. Anytime Lizzie was in London, she would visit with Mark and we'd get together. So I'm sure during one of those times, he interviewed her a lot. So wrapping up, Sarah, where can people follow you, learn more about you? Well, go to meetthebeatlesforreal.com. All one big word, meet the Beatles for real. And everything's there. There's my emails listed on there. There's a link about my upcoming book, my previous book. Everything you need to know is on meetthebeatlesforreal.com. And make sure you look down the like thing about fans and click on Lizzie Bravo because all of her pictures and stories will pop up. And something else that was um, one of the readers of my site told me was like Lizzie would comment on a lot of things, which I knew she did, but I didn't really think about it. He goes, I was just looking through the comments and just reading Lizzie's comments because she would comment all the time. And I was like, you're right. She did. So there's like little hidden treasures in the comments section. Well, I know what I'm doing this weekend. Well, we are so excited to have you back, Sarah. Thank you again for talking to us today about Lizzie and scruffs and et cetera, et cetera. Anytime. I love talking about Beatle fans. Absolutely. And yeah, we can't wait to read your book. For sure. And we end this week as we end every week with our latest Beatles obsession. Allison, what's up? Well, this is kind of funny. And Erica, I I sort of took this from your playbook because you sent me that article link. But we did an episode a couple, what, like two episodes ago? We talked about Paul and uh, the concert for New York City and Freedom and all of that. And in the episode, we talk about the Robin Hood Foundation. And both of us were like, gosh, we haven't thought about that in so long. Because that was really kind of at the forefront during the whole post 9-11 period, but really hasn't been in the zeitgeist since. And lo and behold, like magic, just last week, Paul was a benefit for the Robin Hood Foundation in New York at the Javits Center with Nancy. And it was like... I'll be damned, you know, and it was what on the exact anniversary, I think, of the concert for New York City. Yep. And there's this priceless photo of Paul oh in like God. a captain's hat. <laughs> it's like, so a, yeah, it's like a police captain's hat, I think, or something. And uh, he's holding like a, I don't know if it was an award. I think so. But he's, of course, <laughs> just hamming it up, kind of looking really goofy. And I, I think what I, I screen capped it and sent it to you. And I was just like, fucking nerd. And you had the best <laughs> fucking com- comeback ever. 
Why isn't his fist up? <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's a perfect opportunity to raise your fist, Paul. Like, come on. Like, in true concert from New York style. I'm talking about freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he didn't even perform. Like, Bruce Springsteen was there and he performed, and like Alicia Keys and like Nick Jonas or whatever. And then Paul didn't, Paul could have whipped out freedom for old time's sake. You know, some <sighs> things may be better sitting fondly in the past yeah buried under you know the mountain of the mccartney songbook i suppose yeah yeah mm-hmm. well anyway but i thought that was just amazing and so timely and what a great tie-in to our past episode i'm sure that's why he did it thanks paul thanks for that yeah it was wonderful how it came full circle it really did mm-hmm. i like a nice like a buttoned up ending that was great me too tell me what your obsession is this week erica So my obsession ties into an obsession that I've developed more generally with my dad and my brother. We all started playing golf during the pandemic, not like mini golf, but like real golf, which I'd never done before. And it's so so fun. Yeah, it's great. It's like there's actually like skill and it's something moderately athletic that I've actually like improved on. I'm very bad at sportsy things. So it's kind of fun to be able to do something and get better at it. And we just have fun like going out and, you know, there's a lot of walking and outside and it's just really fun. So we've been doing that more and more often. And today I came across this article literally written two days ago. This thing is new. I'm so excited that all of my obsessions in life are kind of colliding there is a Beatles-themed golf course, like real golf course, that has a yellow submarine. Like a real yellow, like a full-size yellow submarine? Yeah, like it's a full-size professional 18-hole golf course with like really long holes. And right. there's this big submarine inside one of the ponds that's like a trap for the balls. <laughs> so it's like incorporated into the golf stuff. Oh my god, that's so funny. Do they have, you know, different names for the holes or like how what tell me more about the Beatles theme of it? It's called Montgomery National Golf Club. It's a Beatles themed golf course in rural Minnesota. Apparently the the guy who owns the course is a huge Beatles nut. The pro shop has giant Beatles posters. There's one of those limited edition Beatles jukebox, like Steven Tyler has one of them. You know, there's signed guitars and a putter with a yellow submarine on its head. It's like, it's like a Beatles like dream scene, right? So that's just the pro shop. And then all through the golf course, it's all got like subtle Beatles themed. Well, some are not subtle. There's a 17 foot guitar in the parking lot. Um, there is, like I said, a, it says one ton yellow submarine floating in a pond on the 18th hole. Lord, that's so Uh, cool. Yeah. There's like signs all over. Like there's one on a, there's one tree that has like wood signs that say like pointing to like Abbey road and Penny lane and like Saville row and Isle of Wight, like with the mile markers on it. So it's like all of these really cool little Beatles themed things that you get to observe while you're playing golf. This would be so fun to me. I would love to go see it. And not only that, but this place where the golf course is, is also haunted. Uh, okay. Um, so, does, 
Does that tie into the Beatles theme or is that just like what happened with like a, a murder happened there or a golfer got struck by lightning? Apparently there's a thing about haunted golf courses and <laughs> this is apparently ranks in the top 10 most haunted golf courses in the country. Uh, what? <laughs> I did not know this. Yeah, I didn't know this either. And the two original owners of the farm where the golf course was built are buried underneath a giant tree that's on the course. And so they say, never left the property. <laughs> Fun. Uh, so like, you know, you'll be golfing on some graves. That's great. I think the graves are off to the side. But oh, okay. It seems like there's a little bit of poltergeist activity going on, like random things fall to the ground, like things end up landing on top of each other that they shouldn't land on top of each other when no one's looking. It's that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it sounds like a lot of fun. It kind of combines two things that I love. And though I've never been to Minnesota before, I now feel like I need to take a trip there. Yeah, I think... Uh... That might be in certainly your future, possibly our future. Yes. As the quote on the site says, you've got to go to that course. The guy is like Willy Wonka if you traded chocolate and candy for golf and the Beatles. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. That sounds like a blast. Definitely yeah. putting so it on obsessed. a road trip. Yes, taking list. a trip, doing it. Very excited. Oh, yeah. The Beatles golf course in Minnesota, eh? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Minnesotans. I had to. <laughs> it's hard to resist, you know. It, I, yeah, it really is impossible. <laughs> so uh, I think that's about it for BC the Beatles this week. Yeah, uh, that's a great note to end on. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, next week, we have a very cool episode. We're returning to our Let It Be series. And we're going to be talking about Yoko versus Linda and the Let It Be period or the Get Back period, whatever you want to talk or call it, you know, the death rattle of the Beatles. So that'll be an interesting episode. You know, you heard Sarah kind of talk a little bit about Linda and the fans, Yoko and the fans, but we'll be diving in deep. Yes, this is like a bookend episode to one of the episodes we did a few years ago at the White Album Symposium that we called Women on the Women of the White Album. So this is Women on the Women of Let It Be. A little bit less alliterative, but still on theme for us, I think. I think so, yeah. Yes. And uh, well, until then, please, as always, subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening right now. And please, please give us a rating and review so other Beatle Maniacs can find us. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting photos and more from this episode and beyond. Remember, you can always email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. See you next time. Bye. Bye.